Welcome to Talks with Petri Sao. I'm your host Petri, and today's guest is serial entrepreneur, Skype and Starship Technologies co-founder, Ahti Heinola. Welcome. Hello, hello everybody, and then hi Petri, thank you for having me here. Let's talk first about Starship. How do you escalate a curiosity project into eight years old startup with 200 million raised funds? The answer is step by step because that's what it didn't happen happen all in all in one go. But step by step, you can you can you can grow anything. You can you can you can do anything really. Like if you if you start from the just an idea, like the eight years ago, this was just an idea. This was you know me and my co-founder Janus Ries. We were sorry to a... pause you even before that because uh, just for the curiosity, what I actually learned. It started even earlier. You had a family life and you were busy and, and you needed some distraction or some curiosity. Can you just quickly you know, walk through the yeah, real yeah, start yeah. of okay. the thing and, and you know, yeah, okay. then it well, became okay. an expensive hobby? Go, and... go back also, also to, the, to, the, to the time when I was born, but that was... <laughs> we can go there later. Get to that later. But essentially, you know, like, I had been a pure software person. You know, my, my parents were computer programmers. My mother taught me how to program computers when I was 10 years old. I've been, I was the chief technical architect at, at Skype, but Skype was pure, purely software, right? And, um, and then, then, uh, then at some point, you know, like my, my, I became a father. My daughter was born. And, uh, and then it was kind of difficult, you know, the, the first, you know, you know, year of, uh, of, of the baby's life and so forth. And I, I thought, I thought I couldn't really do like a startup at the same time. But I thought like, I could I could have like a technical hobby. I could uh, I could I, I need to do something on the side. I, I don't I can't you know just you know stay home and 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 uh, and, and be with the, be with the baby. It would drive me, me crazy. I would need to do something else. So I could like oh I could build robots. So so I started building robots you know for hobby and for competition and then turn turn that into into a business later. By the way, Estonia is quite big with robots. Uh, is it the biggest? Uh event organizer or the, or the event still because maybe that was what's what got your attention at the time yes uh, so so yes so, so Estonia has this this uh, robotics competition or robotics festival uh, called 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 Robotex which is actually which is the biggest robotics competition in the world where there's about a thousand teams competing with with the robots in various competitions um, uh, and yes, like one of the, fir the, the first things that I really did with actually with robotics was actually I went went to compete uh, on 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 robotics, uh, and I, I thought that you know typically in robotics it's like the student teams and you know like you know high school and so forth and so forth. I was like you know experienced technologist and so forth. I I, I thought okay I'm going to win this you know like especially I looked I looked at the last year competition videos and, and I thought oh, okay I mean I could do better I could do better than that then then we I, I assembled a team with some really experienced professional friends and uh, we well we didn't win we 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 hardly got past the qualification round what? Uh, so so it was <laughs> it I, I learned also that robotics is hard uh, it's harder than you think um, but I learned through this process, and you know, next year we got actually third place, so it was it was a little bit better. Uh, and then I then I went on to do to a NASA robotics competition, NASA Centennial Challenge, which is like a bigger thing, which is a little bit like this X Prize type of thing, a little bit smaller scale. It's only only one and a half million prize purse, but uh, but uh, uh, but still, you know, definitely you know, bigger bigger event. Uh, 
and uh, and that was also a bit, big learning experience. It was a it was uh, we really you know tried to do this really professionally with uh, with about ten people team, uh, and uh, uh, we were like I funded the team uh, and I led the team myself. Um, by that time, my daughter was also a little bit older, so I could I could spend more time time uh, time do, doing these sorts of things. Um, we still didn't win, uh, and we we did that that for that for for two years. So at, at that that point, then I kind of decided, okay, maybe actually let's turn turn this into a business. It's enough doing this for like three years as a as a hobby. Uh, let's <laughs> let, let, let's let's try to try to turn this into a business. So, uh, if I understood correctly, you were flying back from the competition, and and you stopped by in London, and and you you were just visiting your friend uh, Janus Fried from Skype Times, and. Uh, can you walk through the process? Because this is uh, something I think every founder is going through. That first you have like a vague idea and it's like, okay, I don't know whether I should do this or not. And okay, this is starting to get a bit serious now. And and then you realize that, you know, you know, there's a point where like, you know, you, you need to solidify, you know, okay, let's do this and jump off the cliff. So uh, can you walk through that process? Because, you know, it, it's like you said, it's, it's, it's not obvious and, and you have stated elsewhere that, you know, you, you never wanted to be an entrepreneur and here we are. <clears throat> right. And, and, you know, and actually it was more complicated than, than you, than you, you, you describe it right now. It wasn't that, you know, I was, I was flying back from, from the, from the NASA competition and then stopped by, stopped by in London <laughs> with, 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 with Janus. It was more complicated. These were actually two okay. parallel processes. So with the robotics, initially, I didn't want to turn this into a business. Initially, you know, actually, some of my of, of my team in the competition was telling me that after you know, your experience in startup, let's do let's let's make this 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 uh, this a startup, and I was telling telling people that no 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 no, let's not do that because you know what we're doing here with the competition is pure fun. This is we're doing it just for fun. You know, if we lose or win in the competition, in the end, it doesn't matter really. Uh, if we turn this into a business it's going to be a different story. It's going to be much harder. It's not going to be just for fun. And we can't just quit any time. Uh, you know, with a competition, it's like, okay, if, you have, if, you, if you're preparing for the competition for six months and three months in, you decide you're not going to do that competition, actually. Maybe like, you know, anything, anything for any reason you, you decide you're not going to, do, going to do that, you can just decide so. You can just decide, okay, we're going to withdraw and that's it. No problem. With a company, you know, it's not like that. The three years in, you just decide, oh yeah, it's you know, it's too boring for me. You know, I just stop it. You know, you know that it, they, you can't do it like that. You know, it's so it's, it's essentially with the founding a startup and growing a startup, you immediately have commitment. You immediately, you commit to you know your your co-founders, but that's the easy part because it's only a few a small number of people. But you also commit to your employees you commit to your investors you commit to the public to the to your customers and so forth and you can't just you know quit you know if the if, if you decide that oh you know i'm going to do something else essentially um uh, so that's why i why I initially didn't want to do this and and i had in, had actually a parallel process going on with janus about you know doing a startup together and we were experimenting with various ideas. There was actually one idea which was completely, completely different, not with anything robotics at all, which was pure software, which we were doing, but didn't work out. Uh, uh, and uh, then we said, okay, what, what are we going to do next? Then we had the, 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 the brainstorm. We still had this sort of, this overall setting that, you know, we were both at Skype 
and we decided to work together. We decided to do another startup together. So we wanted to do something that was potentially bigger than Skype, or something that could be really big. And the idea of robotics came up that, okay, maybe we should actually still do something with robotics. But then the, also the question was, there's so many robots out there being built, but most of them do not really seem like, you know, big commercial opportunities. Most of them seem, seem to be like, you know, for fun or academic or, you know, a little bit like that, not, not something that could be a really big business or bigger than Skype. You know, Skype touched, touched you know, well, everybody's lives would be a little bit of an, of an exaggeration, but still it could touch of, on the lives of many, many, many people. With, but if it is Skype, you know, then, you know, loads of people, you know, later, you know, wrote to us that, you know, how their whatever long distance marriage was saved by Skype and, you know, uh, the, uh, about, you know, loads of stories, stories like that. Uh, how could I we do the same to... with robotics? Uh, just, just to pause a bit to give give the magnitude for those people who actually maybe never use Skype because they're just uh, a bit younger generation, so it's in the same same category like the rotary phone. Um, so TikTok uh, uh, in, in I think the Western world is now like seven hundred million, seven hundred plus million monthly active users, and and Skype when the Microsoft bought it was uh, pretty much the same. 700 million users so you know 10 years difference and and the, more, the smartphones were not exactly there yet in, in in the level so so that gives the magnitude of of the thing you think skype was at the time right 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 essentially skype was a long time ago so a lot of people nowadays you know don't know what what skype really 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 was i, I think you know or what the magnitude was but skype was one of the biggest success stories out of europe essentially in terms of the in terms of you know consumer technology you know you know, you know startups like it was it, it was something that 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 grew very quickly grew you know very very big and it was kind of mostly you know founded developed in the nordics essentially uh, you know estonia uh, then then uh, uh, uk also and you know but it was mostly developed in europe so used all all around the world and and was pretty big in asia asia was our actually biggest user base uh, but developed in Europe. And you don't get that, you know, too often, you know, most of these world dominating <coughs> startups and, uh, and consumer products, they are built in somewhere else, not Europe. Uh, but, uh, but this was one of the original big success stories out of Europe, but it was a long time ago. You know, many people don't remember that anymore. Yeah. And Skype has changed also over the years. We can, we can go back to the, to the Skype a bit later, but. Uh, going back, that uh, you were saying that uh, you you did Skype together with a few other founders, and now you're like, let's put the bar a little bit higher. <laughs> so, exactly, it's a it's a natural thing to do, right? I and mean, if you if you have, have had you know some great success, then the next time you're trying to do something, you are aiming for something that could potentially be bigger. You can never never guarantee to be bigger, <clears throat> because like one thing one thing also you know that you should you should know you know maybe maybe about me and about startups that I have done, you know, maybe most people know only about Skype and Starship. <coughs> but actually, I've started a number of other things <coughs> that nobody knows about. And nobody knows about because they never got past, you know, like hiring five people. And then we decided, okay, it, it's not working out. Uh, uh, and at that scale, you can actually just decide that, okay, you know, Founders want to do something else, and let's just you know shut this down. That's possible. When you have a hundred people, it becomes much, much, much harder 
to do that. Uh, so the the I, I, I would say I, I, I've had actually quite a lot of experience in these very early days where you know starting things where there's just a couple of people and do that for six months, one year, two years, and then decide that oh it's not working out. I've actually had a lot of that. Sounds like uh, a few of the Finnish stories, success stories as well, like Angry Birds. I think the was it the plus fifty game, you know, which actually worked and, and that's everyone knows, but you know, those fifty first ones were not exactly the, the hits. And and then the same thing with Supercell, the the, the another uh, even bigger success story in, in the gaming world where, where they're actually testing a lot of these new ideas and, and teams are committed, building for a long time and, and then they just scrap it and it's like, okay, this is not good enough to, to our high quality standards. So so and it's it's not a failure, it's just like hey, we tried and it didn't work out. Right, absolutely. This is—it's very much this 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 story that that uh, that you often, especially in the media, you have stories like, okay, okay, it's something was an overnight success, and it almost never actually was an overnight success. It was ten years of hard work, experimentation, failures, some early successes, but nobody noticed. Then failures again, then some a little bit bigger uh, early successes, and then then you hit it big. Uh, you, and you can't you can't predict you know what what you know you know like, like I said you know I did I did in between Skype and Starship I started a number of other things. And, Can you give, uh, do you have a rough estimate you know even you know in the ideas that how, how many it doesn't need to be like you, you did it for two years but you know I think I think I, I I think I, I started in terms of commercial you know startup startup ideas that I started or co-started was about five that nobody knows about. Um, uh, uh, right. Yeah. Or five, five, five or four. I think you know one of them actually became became uh, became uh, a little bit successful. But uh, where I was like a little bit of an early co-founder. But uh, but uh, but I was like a very early co-founder and actually decided I'm not going to do that uh, anymore. So so the 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 so was it the target uh, API or? Uh, no, 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 no. That was actually because that's actually, the one you actually have in your LinkedIn, and you don't have many things in LinkedIn. So that that, that right, that, that's probably right. special in that sense. Right, right, right. I, yeah, I, I, I have listed all of these uh, early experimentation projects, you know, in 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 LinkedIn. But but I, I was actually actually doing. Uh, I was actually an early co-founder in an in an um, uh, in an e-commerce startup in India, where where I was actually going to move to India and do this full time and so forth. And then I actually realized, you know, I, you know, I actually you know, going back to back to the story about you know uh, becoming a father, and I was actually thinking that I could do a startup, uh, raise or have a kid, uh, and move to a different country all at the same time. Uh, and uh, I realized very quickly I can only do one of these things at the time. <laughs> so that was raising the kid. And, and for the audience, uh, Arthi has a, a great website still. I've got Blue Moon. I can put it into show notes and you can see his travels as well. Then I guess it was, did you find the founders and the idea while you were traveling in India or was somebody contacting you? Or how do you come up no, with these no, ideas? No, it was, 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 a, uh, was a colleague at, uh, at Skype who was from India and wanted to move back and, 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 uh, and, and do this. But, but definitely it, it, it helped that actually I had, I had traveled to India. I've actually been to India 10 times. Uh, so, so, so tra traveled quite a lot in, in, in this part of the world. It, it, it kind of, kind of, kind of helped to actually, you know, set the seed or understand a little bit, you know, that, that what this country is about. And it's very different from around here. Um, uh, so 
basically, if you go back a little bit to the to the starship, uh, so okay, now the team is like, uh, after you need to do something, you know, we need to make this a serious business now, and and you know, not let's not have fun anymore. Let's have a you know some commercial success and uh, and and all the pets are off in a sense that now we have to do it and jump off the cliff. What happens right. then? And and you know how do you how do you do a hardware startup, which is you know hardware is hard, and and you know I guess you can agree, and everyone who has actually done any any hardware stuff, it's it's really hard. So what are the metrics? How do you build a successful hardware company from the start? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's difficult for sure. Uh, yes, hardware is hard. Uh, robotics is hard for sure. Uh, the but I would I would also say actually building any startup is hard. Uh, you know, you know, so software or hardware. People focus on the successes, but typically, these internally, it's a fight every day, and the and lots of also successful startups, really successful startups, have had tough spots, have had really tough times. So, so the founders all, you know, kind of on the stage, you know, smile, and everybody looks at them and say, "Oh, these guys, it's so easy for them, or they have uh, enjoy this." Great level of success. Yes, it, that is, you know, sometimes people have just a lot of luck. Yes. But you also have a lot of bad luck and you also have, have a lot of challenges that, 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 that you're going, going, go, going through that you, you, you don't talk about on the stage. Uh, so, so that is absolutely clear. And all of the, all of the, uh, very successful startup founders also that, that I know they have gone through some rough times. Uh, regardless of whether whether it is is uh, is uh, hardware or software or or, or 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 anything else, but hard, but hardware definitely you know what, one one thing actually you know since we had the success of Skype behind us and we were both uh, high net worth individuals, we one kind of kind of decision we did did that did at the start is that we are going to initially we go to fund it ourselves you know now we have raised you know hundreds of millions you know also from outside. But initially, we we only started this because we knew we could fund this initially ourselves, because I underst we understood this is going to be a long-term game. This is going to be something that needs investing in before it really starts 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 to work. And uh, uh, specifically, I think things are actually easier done if you are um, if you have a little bit of a of a more of a, of a of a background of how to spin things in the public or how to you know create like a little bit of a show or story out of this, but you know I'm not really like that. You know I'm I'm actually like okay, what is actual business essence? Why are we doing this? And let's make this work. I never wanted to create like just a story. I create I wanted to create a working business, and working business with robotics requires scale, and requires things like okay why are people using our service so 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 you, if if people you know people are not using a robot just because it, it's a gimmick or it's a nice thing or it's just uh, we wanted to wanted to actually this this deliver robot to to provide utility and uh, and one of the pieces of utility is actually that uh, it could lower the cost of delivery and they, we we figured out you know that that delivery is a big problem economically Generally, people are not willing to pay for delivery. Uh, if you if you if you get your 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 next you know you know food order and uh, and uh, and you and you see that you okay yeah I, I had delivery fee you know one fifty and I got the fifty percent discount so I was paying you know less than a euro 
you know, for, for the delivery, like if you, if you do the math, you realize that somebody must be paying the difference. You know, the delivery really lost my delivery cost way more than uh, Euro 50, way more. Uh, and, and, and that's the problem. Customers are not willing to pay for what it actually takes right now or until recently. Um, venture capitalists were willing to pay for it. So venture capitalists were, 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 were paying for delivery and they're not going to do that forever. Um, so that's the problem we wanted to solve. We wanted to make, make delivery lower cost. So, so when, you, when you asked, okay, we had this brainstorm in London. So what did we do next? My next thing I did was create a back of the napkin calculation. And the back of the napkin calculation was about unit economics. It was about how low can we go in terms of the costs? How much can robots, robots lo lower the cost? Since this back of the napkin calculation worked out, that was a big milestone for me. That was that, okay, maybe we can, you know, really do this. So, so let me pause here because I think this is a really important lesson. So you actually didn't start from the technology, having all the background of already going to the competition. It was more like, okay, how much are the consumers willing to pay for this thing? Can we actually make it to work? Uh, does it actually have like uh, some kind of a substance in a way that, yeah, probably it doesn't work now, but we can actually engineer it out and, and at the end it will work out. Right. My thought process is essentially was, you know, I'm, I'm a sort of a fairly universal technologist in that, you know, by that time I had background for both, from both, you know, hardware and, and, and software. And I could, I could just, you know, in a very sort of, um, shooting from the hip way, approximately, you know, assess how long does it take to develop this thing? How much the robot would cost to manufacture? Uh, some of the other, you know, you know, parameters ar 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 around that, I could, I could just, uh, just, uh, uh, just, you know, shooting from the hip in a very sort of approximate way, I could, I could assess, you know, how, how, how would, how would that work? So I knew that approximately, that's, that, that's how, how it's going to be, because in the NASA competition, we were actually building robots, which, you know, they were actually robots not designed to do delivery, but designed, designed to pick up rocks on Mars. But if you think of it, actually, a robot picking up, up rocks on the Mars, it's actually the relatively similar size of a sidewalk delivery robot and relatively similar speed. And uh, we use actually some of the relatively similar sensors. So some of the technical background I actually had, I knew almost exactly how much it would you know, cost, how much, what sensors we would, we would need to use and so forth. What I didn't know was that, you know, does that, that would that actually work as a business? Um, because there's no point in starting to just go deep into technology and starting to really build this beyond just shooting from the hip, but starting to really build this. If you actually have this big unknown, which is, will this work commercially? So we needed to validate that. So we actually, actually, uh, you know, you know, you know, uh, we had, 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 a, had a friend of mine who is actually really good at that, Alan Martinson, who was actually helping us. Uh, to validate this, this uh, validate the commercials essentially, and the output of that was actually that oh, it's actually a really good idea commercially to do this. And, and just to uh, also remind uh, the audience as well that you know you started 2014, you know obviously a bit earlier, but that's the time. So Volt and Bolt and all these food deliveries were just about to get started, or they were in the really early years. So it wasn't like a proven model it is now. Uh, and the world really looked different at the time. So it wasn't clear that, you know, it, it becomes like a major trend. And, and I, I guess it was really the COVID times which sort of uh, hit it home that, you know, it, it's so convenient and it works. 
and so you started like really in a different era, I would say. Uh, well, yes and no. Yes, definitely, definitely these, you know, food delivery startups that exist today, they were in very early stages. That's true. On the other hand, people had things delivered all the time. I mean, you yeah. know, FedEx, UPS, these things existed for sure. You could also get pizza delivered all yeah. the time. That, that's an industry that has, has existed for, for, for a very long time. So it wasn't that, 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 that there was, like, we didn't, we didn't, uh, know whether delivery as such is something that people want. We knew that. That, 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 that was for sure. And we knew also from the start that the robot that we are going to be building, it could transport packages, it could transport pizzas, it could transport flowers, it could transport, you know, medicine, it could transport anything else. Then, and we, we actually segmented the market and, you know, and, uh, and uh, tried to put some numbers on it, like, okay, what, what, what are we going to deliver? And we quickly found out, for example, flower delivery, is actually a very small business. Uh, pizza delivery is way bigger business, for example, uh, and so forth and so forth. You know, and there's, we under, understood, but that, that all, all came a little bit, a little bit later. We, we understood that, that our robots would be agnostic in terms of the technology would be agnostic in terms of what it would actually deliver. Regardless of the food delivery startups, we would have some business. Uh, is it a secret? How much you actually put your own money before you did the seed round, uh, which was like 17 million or something? That was the official round for the for the other people joining the project. So you, you did actually the whole testing phase and, and the first phase uh, just by the founder. So how how serious yeah, yeah, you like, were in this sense? Yeah, so so initially on the sort of the first meetings, we kind of decided that okay, we're going to be putting in two million. Yeah, obviously, in the end, it, it, it you know we we raised much more money and so forth and so forth. So so two million maybe was you know way too small for 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 starters. But you know if you if you are just two people, then uh, you know you don't have that many expenses initially. So this two million actually lasted us for like I think longer than a year. Uh, so it, it was definitely a required step, and I can't overemphasize this that if we didn't have this sort of two million to invest into it ourselves. We would likely not have done it. We would not. We would likely not even bother to go to to VCs to raise money for this because we we didn't know what to pitch. Even we didn't. You know, like the the we, we, this was these were so early days that we we thought that there's something in there. There's something in there, and and the, and the, the and one one other thing, maybe a little bit of of an, of an insight, you know, that uh, that, uh, that 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 many people do not realize, you know, you know, back then, of course, you know, delivery was done, you know, usually with cars, right, uh, and and the 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 idea of having a much much smaller robot to do delivery was a little bit maybe of a, of a new thing, but we realized also that you know. Things are delivered with the car because the cars need to fit people. It's not that the car car needs to fit the package that you are you are you, you need to deliver. The package is small usually. It's very very small, right? Uh, and 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 you can actually build uh, a very small robot that goes even really fast. It can go actually car speed. Our robot's not designed to to to, to do car, to do car speed. But for example, uh, do, do you know what is the speed record for like the small model? RC cars, or actually not even RC, but competition cars, which are like this size or something like that. What's the speed uh, record? Like the actual competitions, you know, for that. Uh, 
are they electric or are they doesn't matter no uh, at, least, at least at that time i'm sure that nowadays probably these com these competitions are done, done electric but now but but back then it was actually combustion internal com combustion engine um well i had a those uh, when i was a child and, and they went like 50 kilometers per hour 40 I, I think some of them so it must be like a double or triple of that yeah, so the so at the time that we started Starship, the the world champion was an Estonian, uh, and the world record was about three hundred thirty kilometers per hour. <laughs> so it's like flying, basically. <laughs> exactly, and this is like this size, like a really small, uh, small thing, right? And uh, and uh, so you could actually build a robot which is very very small and goes on the road with the same speed as the cars and can deliver packages. The problem is it will be crushed by the uh, by the uh, the the by, by the cars, that's the problem. Then we decided, okay, but we can do this on the sidewalk with much smaller, uh, much smaller. Did, did you ever consider actually drones, like you could fly, because that's somewhat easier in some sense and, and harder. So in the other. actually, drones were considered by other people at the time. You know, Amazon had just publicized their their idea of of, of doing do, doing drone delivery. But one of the sort of counterpoint, we actually started Starship as a little bit of a counterpoint to that. We realized that okay, you know. Drones actually have problems, you know, they, people don't like drones, you know, one, you know, famous saying is that, is that people would love to get drone delivery, uh, but they would hate it when their neighbor does so. Uh, so, uh, and <laughs> if you live in a residential neighborhood, you have lots of neighbors. Uh, <laughs> if people were, were all the time getting drone delivery, there would be just this sort of buzzing and this, uh, people don't like flying things up in the air with our, which are buzzing. Um, all right. So. Anything you want to share with the journey? Uh, I don't think we will go all the details on what, what happened. Uh, there's an excellent website you have, and, and there's a lot of milestones. And actually, one peculiar thing, I was just uh, looking at, is it now 4 million deliveries this year? Was that the latest? Yeah, yeah. we, we just, just exceeded 4 million deliveries with our robots and, and, and 8 million kilometers driven. Uh, so we're driving as much kilometers as the self-driving car companies are doing, uh, but with... Uh, with a much uh, slower uh, robot, right? And our our mileage, our kilometers are are commercial uh, commercial uh, volume. It's not like testing, like the, like most of the self-driving car kilometers are, are are done. So we are essentially a world leader in in, in autonomous technology now. Um, and that wasn't where we where we started in 2014, but we built this into the world leader in 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 in, in autonomous uh, driving, essentially. Uh, and we have proven that the robot delivery does work. Obviously, 4 million deliveries, you know, our sites are much higher than that, right? But 4 million also proves that, you know, this is not just a gimmick. This is not something that, that this is just one robot driving around or something like that. We have thousands of robots doing deliveries every day. I was actually, because you mentioned these milestones, and I was like, okay, is there like exponential curve going like, uh, going backwards, like uh, November, you know, this month, November 2020, 4 million hit. February this year, 3 million, uh, then October 21, 2 million. So that was basically doubling. But then the previous doubling from uh, was last year from October 21 to the January 21, that was 1 million. So it's like, are we, are we starting to hit, uh, hit, hit like uh, really like, you know, going up in, in a sense? And where do you yeah, see yeah, this yeah. going yes, in, in five is, years? Yeah. So? It is exponential for, 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 for sure. I think, you know, for the first four years, for the first four years of the life of Starship, I think we did maybe about 20,000 deliveries or so. 
now we are at four million. It's definitely definitely accelerating, and it, you know, make, makes it makes total sense. You know why it's accelerating. Of course, you know, in the early days we were just building we were just building robotics technology. That was all what Starship was about, making sure that the robot could drive autonomously on the sidewalk, and whether it's safe enough to do so, and everything around it. Um, and then it was more about expanding the commercials, the, also the manufacturing of the robots, you know, the, all of the commercial partnerships, you know, what do the, the stores need from us, you know, how does, how does, do, does the delivery work from the uh, consumer perspective and so forth and so forth. And then we could really start scaling, scaling this up and we are accelerating for sure. How do you balance the R&D side of things, which always needs to be improved and, and you know, you could always do more, but you have to also deliver. And, and then the commercial side, because you, you mentioned that you are commercially successful and you, you were pretty early also in, in that sense. So uh, how, how, do you, how do you make that to happen? Because it's not obvious. Right. So I think in some companies there, there is a sort of a bigger separation between the R&D and everyday commercial operation. In our case, it's not like that. Uh, in, in, in our case, actually, the company and, uh, and, uh, and the engineering is very much integrated into the, uh, into the, 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 the operations. These are two, not the, of course, there are two different departments of the company. Yes, that is true. But the the overall company is not that you know the the R and D lives in its own world and and then the commercial operations lives in 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 in, in, it, in its own world. We do you know continuous integration all the time. Like the the for example the robot software we are releasing, uh, I think about three times a week. Uh, and the and the and the the uh, the if if uh, for example autonomous driving software engineer writes a line of code and commits this, then it gets to the live robots, to all of our robots in about seven days or 10 days. There's like a testing cadence and then and, and, and so forth in, be, in between and automatic tests and, and, and live tests and so forth. But it's about seven, seven or 10 days generally. And when they mess up, when they make a mistake, you know, they're, they're messing up the commercial operation, right? So that's why the feedback loop there is also very tight and everybody reviews the commercial results all the time. It's not that the R&D engineers do not care about, you know, how our business are doing. No, 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 they care about it very much. Uh, and, and, and also we have a big weekly engineering meeting, which is very much sort of R&D oriented, which also, you know, our, you know, operations leaders attend and so forth, and they listen to the engineers banter about, you know, how, how some screw got loose or, you know, how, how they had some bug or how they had, you know, some, you know, you know, something else. So actually, actually very, the R and D and the commercial operations are actually very integrated. And that's a good thing, obviously, because it gets everybody, everybody aligned. It's also a hard thing to do because it creates a lot of stress. Um, it creates a lot of stress essentially because R and D is a little bit unpredictable. The commercial operation needs, obviously, predictability and stability and reliability from technology. Uh, on the other hand, it also works the other way around in that business development and business partnerships are also unpredictable. You can't predict that when are you going to get the signature from a partner or when are you going to launch this other thing. Uh, and uh, even though sometimes, you know, a commercial people are saying that, oh, we're going to launch this, you know, next week. And then the R&D engineers are kind of, 
developing for that a little bit, and then it turns out that, oh, it actually gets launched, you know, three days earlier, and then R&D engineers are not ready, and everybody's pissed, and, you know, the, the, so the, it creates a lot of stress. This integration creates a lot of stress in the company. Uh, but we have still chosen to go this full integration way and not have these vertical silos uh, all, all that much. Uh, how do you... What type of culture you're building in the company? Because there's already hundreds of people already in, in the in the company. It was not just uh, you and a few other other founders doing everything. So, what's the process for there? Because it's completely different to have a company with uh, maybe ten people or tens of people than hundreds of people, and still have the initiatives and 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 the drive and those things which actually makes it successful. So, how do you make sure that that will happen as, as well in the future? Uh, right. Uh, yeah, and, and actually, this integration that I mentioned earlier—that is, actually, I would say, very much you know part of the culture. Very much you know part of the culture uh, that people take ownership of the end results, and, and they they do not uh, not just you know think that oh my team's work is done, and or or my team did a good work, good job on this project. No, what's important for everybody is that the whole project was a success, not that your team did a good job on, on this on, on this project. And that is the culture culture in, in, in the company. And and also also when, when I when I said that, you know, Starship is one of the leading autonomous driving companies in the world, that is actually the this sort of integration is also in robotics development. Sometimes also an issue between the software teams and the hardware teams. They work on different timelines. The hardware teams move at the slower timeline, obviously because of manufacturing schedules, and uh, software moves faster. But on the other hand, the software people, typically in autonomous driving, the software people require a certain hardware. They require certain hardware improvements in order to deliver on whatever reliability, quality, autonomy levels, whatever efficiency metrics that they need to deliver on. Uh, and in a lot of autonomous driving companies, these are actually somewhat separate in the sense that actually the autonomous driving software developers uh, or software researchers, they essentially, algorithm researchers, they essentially say that, hey, we require, you know, a LiDAR with this sort of spec, or we require cameras with this sort of spec, and they don't exist right now, or they're not mounted on the, on the robot. So there's like a timeline, oh, next year we are going to get this. All right, and then, then people start developing this, uh, this software in simulation for these sensors that have not yet arrived. And then invariably, these sensors get delayed. Uh, they don't appear in the next, next whatever, whatever year. Um, and then everything messes up, essentially. They, then all the timelines get, get, uh, get, uh, get messed up and so forth. We haven't actually done it this way. We have we have also gone like full integration between these teams in the in the way in the way that nobody can just you know say that hey you know I am just relying on some other team de delivering on this you know one year from now no everybody's developing with what they have today and their job is to deliver a good result in commercial operations one week from now or one month from now if you are a software team if you're a hardware team yeah yeah it's it's a longer 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 timeline then. Or maybe expected to, to to deliver, you know, in three months or something like that in commercial operations, or maybe six months, depending on the on, on the thing. But still, you can you can you can never just say that, you know, hey, my my team's job is done. I wrote the software for this non-existent sensor. Uh, 
my job is, is done, you know, I should get the bonus or some, something like that. No, you get the bonus when it's actually working on commercial operations, including handing the sensor. And I think that culture has actually helped uh, making Starship uh, leader in the autonomous driving space, because that's actually what gets you the quickest practical results. But it does get, does build a, in a lot of stress in the company as well. A lot of tension. People are not happy about them, their team, you know, the results, you know, did not end up good, not because of my team, but because of some other team. So people are suffering because of that. But, uh, but also I think we have built in Starship a culture where, where I think the, a lot of the people in the company, they, they, they have this sort of right mindset that, uh, that they don't point fingers. They don't do this thing. And we have this one of the, our company values is we work as one team. And that is a mantra that is, is, is repeated throughout the company. What are the metrics uh, you're following in, in a sense that you know that the company is going the right direction? Because uh, in the startup world, there's a lot of uh, vanity metrics, but, but you know, there's some things which are really essential. And, and obviously, the, the, the further you go with the company, you get a sort of sense what actually makes sense and how do you can see that everything is uh, going the right direction. And because usually right. you get the, what you measure. Uh, is, the, you know, the number of deliveries, revenue, uh, profitability, uh, and then in the in the engineering sense, also some of the ingredients of all of these things. That how many things get did went wrong yesterday? So, you know, we drive you know ten twenty thousand kilometers every day, right? Uh, in the and to put that that thing into perspective, during the first year of our operation, we drove one thousand kilometers during the first year, right? Now we're doing, you know, 10K, 20K a day. Uh, so definitely mishaps happen. Things happen, you know, wrong every day. During 10,000, 10, 20,000 kilometers, there were a number of things that were suboptimal. These get reviewed. And how many, how serious of these things happened, you know, yesterday or the last week or, 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 or whatever it is. And uh, uh, these are the metrics that, uh, that, that, that we're following all the time. And the, and, and, and there's loads of efficiency metrics in technology because if you say that, okay, we're writing down the cost of delivery, this cost is largely technological for us. Uh, if you're operating a human delivery network, this cost is, it's mainly the, 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 what you pay to the, to the courier. Uh, and that's like, I mean, you cannot optimize that three X smaller next year or something like that. It's kind of, you're not completely fixed, but it's, uh, but it's, uh, but it, but it, but it's near fixed essentially in our case. The cost, even though we do have people in our operation, but technology determines how often are people needed, how often robots need maintenance, for example, and so forth. So we can optimize the maintenance cost of the robot down by 3x if we want to, right? So there's loads of technology metrics like that about reliability and, and, and various things like that that determine our, our cost. So these are the main metrics that the, the R&D team is, is, is using. And uh, there have been actually various phases in the life of the company. These metrics have, have, have changed over time. When, when we started out, and we, when we were during the first four years, uh, approximately, uh, then we were focused on mostly building the robotics technology. And, and one, of the, one of the key milestones there was in 2017, where we became the first uh, company in the world to, drive, to, to regularly drive robots in public spaces without any human uh, supervision. Because, you know, self-driving cars, you know, Waymo was also driving their cars before, 
in public spaces, right? But always with a safety driver in the car. And we also had earlier, we had, before 2017, we also had people following robots. This, yeah, I remember you, even in Tallinn you could see that it was like a regular thing that there was a, there was a person following and, and has some kind of a controller as well. Exactly, and we did a lot of kilometers like that. Obviously, this is not efficient in any sort of you know commercial operation at all, right? Uh, so obviously, we need we, we knew that, that 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 we needed to we needed to to develop the most to the point where it's safe enough to drive without any human supervision. Then we went to remote supervision. Right, but also we knew we knew we knew we knew we needed to get rid of that 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 as well. And in order to get there, is that by the way the level four and level five is fully autonomous if if you're not taking the the jargon from the from the cars as well. Right, right, uh, right. And but in order to get there, in order to to drive without this human supervision, we also had a metric. We had a metric how often you know certain types of abnormalities you know happen that would then maybe require you know some human assistance. And uh, when we first started to measure the metric, uh, then it was that oh gosh, we have a long way to go. We have a long <laughs> way to go. Like this, this was actually one of the sort of the relatively bleak moments. I would say that the metric was bad. And that was, I think, 2015 or so. Pretty uh, early in, in the... Yeah, and we well, we thought that, okay, but to what level do we need to drive this metric? And we figured that, okay, we need to, we need to improve or change the metric 250 times. 250 <laughs> times we need to improve before we can remove people, <laughs> you know, following robots. So... Like one, one, you know, venture capitalist approximately at that time, you know, told me, told me in a tier one firm that, you know, you can improve a metric 10x, but you can't plan to improve a metric 100x. Like 10x you could do, but 100x you cannot plan for, you know. Uh, I'm not going to be funding this, essentially. Uh, the, 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 <laughs> what we did was that I was the CEO of the company. We had a weekly meeting every Thursday. We still have the weekly meeting every Thursday. Uh, and I stood in front of the company every Thursday and I reported on that metric. What was, what ha has, has the metric been now? And uh, we obviously had, this was the major focus in the company to improve that metric. And it took two and a half years. Two and a half years of me reporting it every week. Sometimes it went better. Sometimes it also went worse. This was real, this was measured in real life, not in some sort of simulation. Um, and we drove it down 250 times in two and a half years. <laughs> so that was the, then the point where we could could remove the the, the 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 people from you know following following robots, and we actually kept the same target. We actually didn't change the target. If if I if I'm honest, the the target was kind of set. You know, really like, oh, okay, what would it be? Approximated like that. We had actually no idea how much. Uh, Irregularities could we could we tolerate, but then we settled on a certain sort of level, uh, and it was actually a, approximately the the, the the right level. So that was a major phase in developing the company. These two and a half years, where it was all about this one number. At that time, we didn't have commercial operations yet, so it wasn't about you know profitability. It wasn't about how much revenue we were making. It was about this one number. This one number still exists. We're still measuring it right now, but it's good enough. So it's we are. It does receive you know some 
focus from the R&D teams to improve that number further, but it's not a major focus anymore. Are you planning to have some other crazy numbers now, like that, um, you know, bigger than Skype? Uh, how do you define, you know, that you are actually in, in, in the leading? Is it like uh, two billion people are using it daily, or is, is there some crazy vision, you know, where, where you know you said, okay, this is probably now in the level that you know I can somewhat, you know, be happy what we be doing? Yeah, you, yeah, you can you can all, always have ambition levels, of course, you know, and and and. And and it, it and it's always something that that you can you can you can improve on. So if you if you look at right now that you know Starship right now, and some people say that oh Starship is so successful startup, you know Starship has made it. Yeah, in a way Starship has made it. But on the other hand, also the four million deliveries that we have done, it's a very small part of all total deliveries that are done in the world. We have a long way to go in order to actually dominate the world. But the thing about this also is, you know, robotic deliveries will win for sure. Like if you think of it, just, you know, first principles, you can make robotic deliveries lower cost than human. Delivery has this economic problem that we talked about earlier, that consumers are not really willing to pay the real cost of the delivery. Robotics is the only solution there. And we are going to win. And this 4 million is going to sound very, 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 very small one year from now or two years from now. Can you give some idea, uh, if it's company confidential, obviously not, but, you know, s something like five to 10 years, where are we? You know, what's the regular world? How many deliveries, uh, you know, numbers and how will world change in, in, in that sense? It can be also some other, other companies also, that if, if you describe there the world. There will be more deliveries for sure in, in five, five, five or 10 years. I mean, it, it, it's just obvious. The only thing that is limiting this is really is, the, is essentially economics and the availability of couriers. Because there is a bit of an you know, economic you know, game there that you know, if you would pay couriers more, you could have more couriers. So you could do more deliveries. But people don't want to pay more to couriers. They want to pay less to couriers to make the economics work so that so that, that the consumers could pay for delivery, not the venture capitalists, um, because venture capitalists are not willing to do that uh, too much anymore, uh, or, 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 or they're not willing, willing to, to, to do that forever. But on the other hand, like it, the, the equation doesn't work, essentially. So, uh, but I think there will be more deliveries for sure. Even with people, there will be more deliveries in five, 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 five or ten years than there are right now. But there will be also a big number of deliveries in five, five or ten years that will be done with robots. Much, much more than four million. Starship is a leading company in that space, that space you know, by, by a long shot. Like, if you, if you think, you know, what our closest competitors are, you know, how many deliveries they have done. It's, 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 it's maybe, you know, tens of thousands or, 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 or hundred thousand or so. It, it's not in the millions. In the history of the company, you have been the CEO and you have stepped down and uh, initially neither of the founders wanted to be a CEO. So can you, can you elaborate a bit about that? As a founder, you, you want to build a company you necessarily don't want to be the CEO or running things because that's a different job. So uh, what is your advice and what, what do you have learned you know, of, of doing this, <laughs> yeah, hiring also yeah, CEOs? My, Was it six yeah, times? My advice in general is don't do it the way I did it. Okay. <laughs> uh, generally, uh, 
because, because, because yeah, Stasi was founded in, in, in a way where neither of the founders wanted to be the CEO. And I was the CEO only because essentially we, we, we thought that, okay, in the beginning, we need to do mainly technology development. And then maybe the CTO is almost the same thing as the CEO. Um, of course, I was wrong. We, 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 we started, started to do, do way more than just technology development, uh, also, also quite, quite early on because we needed to validate the market and get commercial partnerships and, and so forth and so forth. Uh, uh, so, so essentially, we realized that, okay, in, in this situation, eventually we will need to hire a CEO. The problem is hiring a CEO is actually really hard. I've, I've, I've hired as, as, a, as, a, as a founder or as a board member, uh, I've hired uh, six CEOs in my life. Very few of them work out. So it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, it is tough. It is tough, you know, that there are, there are some successes, uh, but they're also failures, essentially. And the, and for, for, for various reasons, you know, it could be dynamic within the, between the founders and the CEOs. It could be that the CEO has, you know, a wrong or different motivation because on, on, on one hand, it's just easy to, to say that, Hey, you know, yeah, I'll, you know, go and lead this company and, you know, spend other people's money and, 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 and so forth without without really being the, being the founder and really, really, really responsible for, 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 the, for the whole thing. So some people have this, this, this sort of attitude and could, could be, could be, could be, could be, could be CEOs and maybe this, this then, then, then doesn't work out. Um, but then there are also people with, with uh, good attitude and that are good hired CEOs, but they're rare. Uh, and the process of, uh, of, of, of getting that is, is just rare. Like if you look at, uh, you know, one, one thing, thing that I did, did also, also early on at, at that, that, uh, that time approximately is I looked at, you know, in Europe, for example, what are, I, I, I got a list of all of the fund, funding rounds that startups have done, which, you know, all of the startups that, that have raised more than like 50 million or so. And, and I had, you know, had essentially a name beside all of, all of these rounds that who was the CEO at the time. And I went through these, the names of the CEOs and the companies, and there's like 90% of them, them were founder CEOs, 90%. That a little bit, you know, tells you what's the success rate of, of hiring a great CEO as a non-founder. Uh, it's, it, it, it's really hard, but we had the situation that we have, like, it was a fact that we wanted to found this company. It was a fact that we, we saw that we could pull this off. And neither of these of us was really like, you know, like a full CEO of Ethereum. So I actually, for most of the history of Starship, I have been the CEO in terms of the years. Uh, but it's not actually, I would say it's not my forte. It's not actually something that uh, I, I, I want to do or, 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 or I'm the best in doing. What is the job of a CEO? Mm -hmm. the job it's not a trick question. It's just like that. Uh, how do you define that? That Fred Wilson has a really good one, but uh, maybe I can tell it later on. But but uh, just, just curious, yeah, uh, you know. Uh, uh, this is like defining what is love. Uh, the, it, 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 Everybody it, has it, their it, different it's, definition. It's, hard, it's hard, hard, hard to define. I think you know one sort of like a very sort of clinical clinical way to de to, to, de to define it. The 
define it is that is the CEO is the bridge between the outside of the company and the inside of the company. That it needs to explain to the company what's going to going uh, going on on outside and, and how they need to adapt and do something differently and what they need to do in order to deliver something on the outside. And they need to to explain the outside, like the media, the customers, investors, you know, what the company is doing and why this this is such a such a great great company. But I think this is actually a very clinical definition. This is not. It's it's true. This definition is true, but I'm not sure whether that, that definition is useful or or, or, or is helping anyone really. Um, uh, I, I I I would say the CEO is just. It's very hard work, uh, very hard 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 job, uh, being the number one uh, person or being the, the the only person that everybody looks up to and and that that could stand up to very high standards, and that has nobody to talk to. The founders are founders and CEOs are in in that sense so kind of you know in a similar similar position. Do you go for qualities of the people? Because uh, what I've noticed that entrepreneurs, um, there's no good way to say this, but you know maybe they care more. It's usually you know they are passionate about the the, the vision and 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 they want to make it to happen. So, so if you hire somebody outside and they haven't been from the beginning, it's it's hard to get the same type of commitment and level and and also the understanding of the of the issues. So it's even some some way, uh, it's not even fair to compare that. You know, you have a excellent technical capabilities and experience, and you take a CEO who doesn't have the background and has, hasn't gone through the journey, so they they cannot even do it in that level. But in in some sense, it gives you the advantage, which makes you also an excellent CEO. Uh, in 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 some sense, because because you have that inherent. So, right, right, right. I, I agree, I agree. But 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 I think you know you know, good CEOs, also good hired CEOs, definitely do take this ownership. They do, you know, get bought into this. Essentially, they do you know get emotionally involved, um, and 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 over time, like they would do get passionate about it, even though they were not there. In the beginning, I think it's not a problem with good hired CEOs. The problem is finding the good hired CEO. It, it, it's, it's not. I'm not saying the hired CEO can never work. No, it does work for Starship. Yeah, it does. It's just hard to get to that situation. It takes a lot, long time of searching and uh, and long time of vetting people and, and and so forth. How do you hire when you are? In the early stages, and the company is growing, and and you're looking that okay, maybe we double in the size of the company in some metrics, and and you know even even higher growth, and you have to now get the external person to 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 to, to, to leave the thing, and uh, what's the level of you know because the compensation comes in if you don't have too much money in the early stages as well. So how do you match that sort of impossible uh, formula? That uh, what what is a good fit now? Because it's it's maybe you know in three years, five years, it's completely different. Yeah, well, I think I think uh, doing a startup is about matching the impossible things, <laughs> not just the CEO, but <clears throat> but, uh, but 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 everything else else as well. Your 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 customer want, customers want the product that it doesn't exist yet, uh, <laughs> and and, uh, and you know the, the uh, there's loads of impossible things you have to match. And you know creativity, and or uh, not actually creativity, but resourcefulness in solving these things is, I think, the most important attribute of a founder. Resourcefulness. There's loads of things that are seemingly impossible, but you kind of find the way how to how to how to make it work. 
you mentioned somewhere that uh, was doing the research or reading that uh, well you didn't want to be like a leader but you you just found out that you you're really good with this thing and and, and people are like uh, almost like nominating you as uh, as a inherent leader so what what are the qualities uh, what does it take to become a good leader can you uh, learn uh, it? right so, so i still don't think i'm very i'm very good at this actually the uh, the and 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 i think uh, i would that's probably actually... a sign that you actually are <laughs> maybe, maybe, not maybe. stating it in that sense because may, yeah. may, may, maybe and, and I, I certainly but i certainly also wouldn't say that you know i started doing this and found that i'm really good at this definitely not you know i started doing this and found that i'm really bad at it and uh, then i found that i'm even worse and then i found that i'm, that I'm even worse and then over time a little bit people started telling me that hey there's actually some things on, around this that you're you, you seem to be doing actually quite well um and so that's a good that, that's that that's a good thing but but for me definitely i think i'm better as an engineer than a leader but you're leading uh, quite a big uh, engineering team as well and, and skype right. was also a technical company so right. isn't that basically it, it's the, the the leading role in the company in a sense you know you're building an architect you're building the it is and part of the reason actually that that uh, that uh, that that engineers follow me like if i'm the leader somebody's following me the part of the reason engineers are following me is that because they know and see that I'm a good engineer. Uh, so even though I'm not, I'm I'm worse as a leader. They still follow me. Do you remember the step when? Well, I think it's called Peter's Peter Peter principle that you always almost like in your level of a maximum level of incompetence. So you know if you're a good engineer and and, and then you know people in the company want to say, hey, you should actually now you know become the team leader or you know go higher in the ranking and, and then then you're not actually probably the, in, in your best position so do you remember right, right. I, I have your this experience journey. of i have this experience of having been the ceo and then kind of stepping down to become the cto and leading a smaller part of the organization so you know i was leading i was leading hundreds of people as the ceo and now i'm leading just a hundred people in the engineering organization in in, in in Starship. So so I think I've actually seen this 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 period principle, you know, firsthand also also and I think I've done the right thing of actually 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 coming 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 down. But uh, but also I would say, you know, in Starship at least, you know, I don't encourage people don't encourage in Starship uh, you know engineers to automatically become team lead. I would say some engineers want it, but it's because they want it, not because somebody somebody tells them to, to to do it isn't it isn't the right thing to do for for a lot of people it is the right thing to do for some and some people really have a good mm, good talent for it essentially but there are also some also, also some people that i think you know have this idea that you know i need to okay i've been in this job for you know x number of years you know I need to become, I need to progress. I need to become a team leader. That's, it's not so automatic. It uh, doesn't need to be like that. You, you know, in, in Starship, as in many other companies, we also have this, uh, this, uh, individual contributor career path or career ladder where you could be a junior engineer, mid-level engineer, senior engineer, principal engineer. So you could progress like that also. You can't, you know, and we have only a couple of principal engineers in, 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 in Starship. So, you have a bunch of stuff to aspire to also without becoming a team lead.
So, so basically you can also get your compensation level going up without going to the management ladder because sometimes it's right. like that you, you follow the money. You just right. It's a natural thing in life and, and if you if you just cannot do it in, in your in, in your engineering path, then, then right. what do you do? Change company. Right, right. Yeah, and yeah, and then principal engineers, you know, in Starship, you know, make as much as the uh, in terms of money and compensation, as much as the as the as the best as the the best team leads, essentially. So, so it's it's certainly, and also I would say, you know, a principal engineer is worth it to the company as much as a really good team lead. A principal engineer is worth more than an average team lead. You mentioned also that. Uh... You you step down a bit, you know, from the from with the CEO and uh, but, but then you also hired a COO who used to be a CEO and and you were the CEO. So so how do you actually sort of constrain yourself of being the founder and the CEO? And now there's uh, uh, you know a new new person coming in and it's you know yeah. for both parties it's 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 sort of there's a tension and it's a sort of natural tension coming from the different positions. Right, right, right. And, and that that was in, in Starship. That was I, I would say I would characterize or I would categorize this as as, as one attempt or, or or not attempt but one one way how we in one phase of the company, you know, solve this sort of, let's say, like impossible equation of two founders trying to run a company with neither of them really wanting to be the CEOs was that, you know, I was the CEO, but I had a really experienced COO uh, in the company, uh, Alan Martinson, who I actually actually mentioned mentioned already earlier. And, and, in the, and it's, it's funny, actually, you know, his career up until that point was that he had been an entrepreneur and CEO all the time. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't think he has done pretty much any other, you know, jobs or roles. Okay, he had been a, a VC as well, but, uh, but all of the sort of, let's say, the, the roads in companies have been essentially CEO roles. He had never done anything else, I think. And I was the first time CEO. So all of my roles in the company was anything but the CEO role. And now then, I was the CEO in this company, and he was the COO. So we were both doing something that we had never done before, and uh, and then, but he was also, a, uh, you know, had been been the CEO of different companies than than Starship. So his experience maybe it was very useful, but there was this, definitely this sort of creative conflict that I wanted to do things differently than he as the CEO, you know, would 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 have wanted to, or it wasn't like just automatic that. He was the experienced CEO teaching me all the time, or maybe he was trying to, but but I was not not uh, not re receptive, or I, I was not receptive enough, maybe. Uh, uh, so uh, I learned a lot through this creative tension. Definitely, it it, uh, it helped me helped uh, helped helped me a lot, and it helped Starship a lot. So 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 dur during during one phase of the life of the company, that's that's how we how we kind of you know you know maybe solve this or, or help this a little bit that you know that i didn't want to be the ceo that i had a ceo that was actually taking care of a lot of things that i didn't know how to do and who was helping me to do things so yeah it, it kind of it's also a way that works but if you if, if somebody would want like my advice my advice would be to do it properly to have a, have a founder ceo from the beginning from the beginning yes so what is the minimum team to start a company, startup? You know, how, how many people you, you need, to, 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 you know, the bare bone which actually functions? Just one. I mean, the, the minimum is one, and you can, you can use this resourcefulness 
you have one resourceful person, and then you then you you, you can use this. This person can use this resourcefulness to take care of everything else. Uh, the uh, obviously they need to grow as well. Like uh, I don't think it's really possible to to build like a like a great startup with just one person. But initially it needs to be only one. Initially only one, and then it, then it, then it will grow. Oh well, then this one person will grow. It it doesn't grow by itself. Let's uh, shift gears and. Uh... Go a little, unless there's something you want to mention about Starship, but, but I, I think there's been, uh, well, there's yeah, actually yeah. one topic I would actually still want to just uh, talk about Starship. Uh, and okay. it's, let's not go too deeply there, but the, the funding rounds, you mentioned already that you self-funded in the beginning, then you started to get the rounds. Is there any any advice you can give to the people who are building their company and now it's a tough situation also to get the funding? Uh, you, you obviously been doing a lot of uh, you know, investments yourself as well, seeing, you know, and, and, you know, helping your friends around as well. So um, what's the take? Should you bootstrap? Should you take VC money? You know, what are the mistakes? What are the obvious things which look like something but are completely different things? Mm -hmm. <coughs> I would say overall thing, things that, that I have definitely learned uh, also about the, about, the, about the fundraising is that, uh, is that, uh, uh, obviously, your company needs to be performing well. In and however you characterize that, you know, like I characterize that in terms of this metric or one metric or or a number of different metrics you can measure it in in, in some. So you characterize that in in other ways, ways as well. But 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 it's also that the view that the investors have of the company is actually very small, or it's like it's like looking through the company like you know through a keyhole. Uh, you know, investors want to perceive that they understand everything about the company or they, they know, all, know all of the important stuff. In reality, they don't. In, in, in reality, they are, they are looking through a keyhole and, and, and therefore it actually, it's very important that what is this, how are you characterizing the company? How, how are you, how are you positioning the company? What is the story that you are, you are telling? Because investors in the end invest into a story and the company that matches the story and you can actually even though in your mind the story there is just one obvious story you know like i essentially during this this podcast interview i have you know told the story of starship right in a certain way right you know maybe to an investor i would actually tell the story differently uh, or uh, or maybe an investor wants to hear the, the 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 story different and it matters it matters a lot how are you telling the story it's not obvious. It's not just one way 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 to tell tell the story. You could tell tell that multiple ways, and it really matters. How are you doing this? And it's a very sort of creative process to think that you know what's the story of this company. How much should you take feedback from the investors? Because uh, if you're pounding, uh, you know, knocking on a lot of doors and you're getting different kind of advice every time you ask and say, okay, come later, you know, yeah, this looks interesting. Oh, I don't believe in this, you know, thing. I, I like drones. So whatever comes your way, should you? I, 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 I would say, you know, the, especially the, the declines from investors, that investors will look at it and they, they decide they're not going to invest. You get a lot of feedback, but the feedback is just, it's just sometimes you know it's like oh too early or you know we want to be more proof points of this or you know you know something like that it's not really action actionable for you um uh, so you rarely get uh actually useful feedback from the clients from from some of the some of the 
the good investors, if you have good good relationship, sometimes they, they they do. But in general, like I would say, you know, take this with a grain of salt. Like any and can say, you know, it's too early. I mean, it's not useful really for you. It's maybe it's accurate, but they, you know, for them, right? It's it's accurate, but they're 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 doing it not to help you, but to explain their actions, you know, to their own actions to 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 you. But investors that have already invested in you. And they actually they believe in you and so forth. I would definitely recommend to have a very good collaboration there and 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 and, and, and two-way information flow and and and, and li listen to listen to what, what what they say. I would. It's also also one thing that um, that I think about advice in general. It's very easy to actually give good advice to 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 people uh, if you are. If you're looking at it from the outside, <clears throat> you're seeing many things that the company itself doesn't see, for example, or doesn't uh, put the right uh, uh, right kind of attention to. Uh, it's easy to give advice to others. It's much harder to do it yourself. Uh, so I, was, I would give advice that listen to the advice of others. I, I coined a term, uh, borrowing a bit from you, like keyhole advice. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, yeah. Well, advice is, is is hard. Like if you have a very small view of the company, then it's hard to give give like a, like a, like, a, like a good good advice. But somebody who really you know knows you and the company a little bit more can give excellent advice. People How who about... people who leave your company can also give you excellent advice. How about the expectations um, when you when you doing your first round and and then going to the succeeding rounds and, and you know sometimes in a lot of alphabets uh, uh, following each other are there like steps that you cannot just copy paste your deck and, and, and do things the same way and, and you know that you notice that okay this is now a completely different ball game exactly absolutely and the expectations go up so <clears throat> so um, when like I, I I wouldn't actually necessarily say that you know that uh, that it was harder for us, for example, to fundraise our first round than it is right now, because the expectations go up at the same time. You know, like you know, back then, you know, maybe in 2016, it was that you know, hey, you know, can this really you know work at all? And it was like a leap of faith that some investors, you know, took that, hey, you know, these guys are are able to to to, to make this work. And you know, it's maybe. A little bit easier to to believe in, in in a PowerPoint, or for some people it's easier to to, to believe in a, in a PowerPoint. But then, if you're raising like hundreds of millions and you already have done millions of deliveries, you know people are going to be looking at different things. They're going to be looking at your delivery numbers, and you know, is it growing? How fast is it growing? You know, all all of these things. They're looking at different things, and the and the and the bar goes higher as well if you're if you're raising bigger bigger am, 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 amounts amounts of money. So uh, so. Uh, so definitely, I would say capital raising is different, and you know, I've, I've also, you know, seen all, all, you know, through this process, you know, what are the types of investors that invest half a million, and what are the types of investors that invest fifty million or 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 or, or hundred million? It, it is different sort of people, uh, and 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 the experience level of these people is also different. Yeah, and it's it's completely different expectation levels as well. Like uh, we were talking about the, the deliveries. First, there's like one delivery. Maybe you can even tell the story, you know, if you remember what was the first delivery, and 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 then you then you doubling it's like okay, two and four, and you know it takes a long time to get anywhere basically, and 
and and and in a similar manner that you know your valuation is uh, maybe a few millions in the beginning, and and then when you're in the billions, it's way harder to to, to some sometimes you know double the number and and you know get to that level, and and, and then that becomes like a plateau, you know, uh, probably in some right. point. That, right, right, right. A lot of investors are just also asking for a valuation, and then they could see, oh, this is too high for us. You know, we're not we're not we're not playing in this league. Do you by the way? Do you remember the first uh, delivery? Was it something which which just happened, and or was it like uh, some kind of well, an event? Uh, uh, there, there, there were there were a lot of deliveries that 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 we, that we did in sort of this sort of extremely sort of you know testy way, where you know for example you know there was one delivery that me me and Alan we 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 were in, we were in Palo Alto and we were we were driving a robot in Palo Alto we were fully remotely driving. Uh, uh, at, at the time, there was not not autonomous at all, uh, and 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 like we did like a bit of a mock delivery for you know some resident who just knocked on the door and said you know you know hey you know could we deliver something some something to you you know and the and we asked for feedback you know how how did how did it, did it feel you know getting something with, with with the robot and 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 so forth, but was it the real delivery? No, not really. Like you know we were not just knocking at somebody's door, right? Uh, I, I don't actually remember what was the first sort of commercial. Delivery where we really, you know, I don't remember actually, actually, but it was by all, by today's standards, it was very, very, very early days. But it must have been, you know, 2016, 2017, 2016. Yeah. Well, was it in Tallinn or was it was it in in US? We were actually we were actually actually uh, actually uh, doing these sort of you know experiments and tests with uh, with various different companies in US, UK, Estonia, Germany. Uh, I don't remember which was the first one. Uh, but but like like you know, I said also in the beginning that you know we knew that our robot could could do do loads of different kinds of deliveries. It could deliver packages, it could deliver food, it could deliver you know pizzas, groceries, you know flowers, you know. So we did things like also like flower delivery before realizing that it's a much smaller market than 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 than, 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 than some some of the others. So it might be that the first delivery was a flower delivery. Let's go back a bit of time. You you you, you mentioned that. Uh... Uh, it, you, you were ten years old when you when you were learning to code, but uh, th the world was a bit different. There was well, internet was uh, somewhere in the past, you know, uh, central computers, and and somebody has access to it. Maybe Bill Gates and a few other for the other guys in the seventies had access to it if they were in the right high school, uh, but but most of the people did not. So, but you have another method. Uh, how, how did you learn to code, and and do you remember the first uh, program you did? Right. I, yeah, I remember it actually very, very, very well. You know, my my parents were computer programmers. You know, both of them. They and they met at the workplace, right? You know, so it was like very sort of you know software, uh, software. You know, parents essentially, and uh, and and you know, and back then also, you know, interesting interesting thing also that uh, that uh, I'd say you know most of programmers were women at the time. So my mother taught me how to program computers, and uh, and uh, the the uh, a lot of their colleagues were also women. Like I would say, probably majority. Uh, uh, and and in fact, in fact, when I later, you know, not when I was ten years old, but later, you know, actually told my parents that you know I've kind of chosen the profession as the software developer, then my mother actually t actually her first reaction. Was actually that you know, hey, but that's uh, such a woman's job, like you know, maybe you could do something else, like a little bit like electronics or something like that. Right. So electronics engineers were, were men, 
but the but the but the but the programmers were were, were mostly women, at least in Soviet Estonia at the, at, the, at 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 the time. So 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 now it's clearly you know programmers are are software developers are mostly mostly uh, men, even though there are some great women in in software development and. And I, I, would, I would love to see you know more women in in, in software development. You know some of you know so, you know we, we have some really good uh, good uh, women software engineers. But anyway, okay, let let let's go let, let, let's go back back to the time when I was, was ten years old. You know my mother it was mother, my mother's idea that you know let's let's you know teach Ati some some programming. And at the time you know we didn't have a computer at home. Uh, that was you know I, I'm, I'm born in seventy two, so I was ten years old in in eighty two. So at 82, it was essentially that in order to actually kind of, I've seen computers a lot because of my parents' jobs, essentially, you know, sometimes, you know, they needed to also, you know, like, you know, you know, schedule, you know, some, uh, some computer time and so forth, right? You know, at, at, at work, you know, to access a computer, uh, at work also, they didn't have like personal computers at, 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 at the time, at everybody's desk. So the, the, you know, I, I, I see, I, I'd seen computers at the, at, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, my, my parents, parents' workplace. But, uh, uh, but when I, when I was writing uh, my, my first, you know, program, you know, together with my, with my mother, you know, then, then essentially with the, uh, the, I, I wrote it on paper. Uh, and then, then later, you know, when the program was ready, then we, 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 we went to the computer at my, my, my mother's workplace and, you know, typed it in and, that, and the, and the, uh, uh, the, the, then, then actually could see, could see how it would, uh, how it would actually work. Early on, you were also, you, you found a bunch of friends, school friends and others, and, and then you established a company, Blue Moon. And uh, what I actually found fascinating was that obviously you did a lot of things and this is all in the website and, and people can go and check and I, I do recommend to check it out. So there was actually amazing stuff, but, but there was also the hardware component. Some of you were actually, you know, physically doing hardware, you know, computer stuff as well. So you, and, and you did also a bit complex stuff with, with the coding as well. Are there any particular memories, you know, from those times? I think was it '89 when you more or less somewhat established the company, even though it was not registered at the time yet. And and the Berlin Wall went down, so you know we are in Estonia, you know the the Soviet times. It, it was a completely different experience, you know, what, what Estonia looks like today. So uh, is there something you know you wanna sort of elaborate? I know it's been already discussed in some other podcast, and I can yeah, put those in yeah, the show yeah. notes already. Definitely, this 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 was the this was the, was was the the time where you know I was in you know it was the eighties and I was in um, in my teenage years. You know I was you know you know listening to Dingo and 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 uh, and, and <laughs> that's uh, a Finnish band. <laughs> and in Italy as well. This was also a Finnish, you know, kind of music, music, you know, TV, TV program. And the, the, um, the, uh, uh, then essentially the, uh, uh, I, I, like computers was cool, you know, software was cool, you know, I was trying to learn all sorts of programming that I, that I could. I was doing, you know, also everybody wanted to do like write their own computer game and you had tons of you know friends you know like that as 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 well you know who who were interested in in this in in this this area and we were we were we were just you know we decided to be together with a couple of friends um to uh to 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 build a computer computer game and like uh not like a really really simple one but like a real you know computer game and you know we were like 16 at the time or something like that and um and uh for me this was 
purely as a hobby. I never thought that, okay, this would be like a business. So this was just hey, Soviet I have Estonia. heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was in Soviet Estonia. You couldn't really do business, you know, uh, you know in, 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 in any case. Even though, you know, this, it was like Perestroika was starting and you know, there was actually you know, some, you know, commercial enterprise that was, that was, uh, was allowed in, 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 in Soviet Union. And they, but, uh, but, uh, you know, one of, one of my friends, you know, Jan Tanlin, who's also now, 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 now well known, uh, you know, you know, he, he was my best mate at high school and, and he, he was part of the group where we were, we, we, we were doing, doing this together. And, um, and, uh, he actually always, or not, not sure always, but he was the first one of us to actually have this ambition that, okay, we could actually sell this game that we are, that we are developing. And, and I'm guessing this. it's Cosmonaut. Yes, exactly. It, it, it was a, a, a sort of a PC game called called Cosmonaut, and the, and um, and he had this idea: we could actually sell this, and you know, not not in like Soviet Estonia, but to abroad. Uh, so I never had that sort of. I I didn't know how this works. He also didn't know how this works, but he had he at least he had this ambition or this uh, this idea or this pride that you know we could we could uh, we, we could sell this which i didn't have you know in you know in when i was 16 um and he had actually some contacts uh, and uh, and and we actually managed to sell this first game while it was still in soviet estonia and we managed to actually sell this to to abroad to 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 to, to sweden and we actually got like from by our standards a huge amount of money you know by Soviet Estonia standards, a huge amount of money for it, uh, which actually, you know, helped, you know, solidify our direction that, you know, hey, if we can make, make money with this, we can make good money, money with this, you know, developing computer games. And it was actually, wasn't it the first Estonian compu computer game uh, published uh, outside of Estonia? Absolutely, but then also it was Soviet Estonia. It wasn't an obvious thing to publish something outside Estonia. It was like this, still like this Iron Curtain and so forth. The Berlin Wall was still up and so forth. Uh, by the way, I saw of a tidbit. Uh, was two years ago there was an Estonian computer game which became quite famous, uh, Disco Elysium. It, it's, it's a really good game, yeah. um, and and you know I recommend people to check it out if you if you haven't. So that's that's also coming, and it's also. Describing a little bit of uh, you know weird times in a weird world, but it may actually somehow reflect on the Soviet realities as well. Yeah, there's some good stuff uh, done in Estonia for sure. Um, so for the next ten years, more or less, uh, you were having fun studying, um, coding, doing different types of. Uh, quite complex stuff as well. There was like real-time simulations, there were 3D graphics, impressive games. Also, you did like, I don't know, disk drives and drivers and uh, banking software, you know, if, if I recall correctly, you know, it, this is all stated in your website. So there's like a lot of stuff you, you, you guys tested out and, and, and did on, on, on those days. That, that 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 is true. You know, we, we also, you know, during the, during the 90s, not sorry, like economically, like, you know, Estonia was start just you know, you know, starting with free market economy, right? And the and the, uh, the it was very much in the whole society. It was very much a time of experimentation for me. You know, you know, I was you know, you know, like in my twenties, we we didn't have none of, pretty much you know none of us you know most of us didn't have families. Uh, it was a, a time of experimentation, and you're finding the right path, you know, in the in in, in the world, and and it wasn't. 
so established as in um, in uh, maybe other places at the time, but also the other places were also much less developed than they are right now in terms of you know startups and software and and and, 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 and so forth. So it wasn't like the, just an obvious that we, we didn't have like an ecosystem to plot into. We didn't have you know companies trying to hire us. We had to create these companies ourselves, and we had to create these products ourselves. And we yes, we did try a lot of different things. And for me, as a software engineer, I have always been drawn to the complicated stuff, the the, the technically complicated stuff. You know, to, to just you know that you know also to push the limits of my 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 own capabilities or or utilize my my capabilities. Um, I've never you know wanted to. I've never been, you know, specifically interested to do the simple stuff really well, but uh, I've I've also understood over time, of course, that you also need to do the simple stuff. You and you need to do the boring stuff. You can't be just doing all the things just what you enjoy. This will just, you know, in terms of business, will not get you anywhere really. Uh, of course, you do something based on or because you love something, but in building every company for example there's loads of boring stuff that you don't want to do but you know somebody has to do and it's you who has to do it was there this 250 times improvement moment during those years was there like impossible uh moments i, I remember a bit later on we can go there in, in, a, in a few minutes but uh you needed to do php and you don't know what it was and you learned it in the weekend but you know that's probably in in the level of 250 but you know was there something in those 10 10 10 years in, in a blue moon that that was like a crazy challenging you, you still remember uh, there were i think there were there were a lot of learnings that we did that we had about the about the business and how to how to run things, and uh, we had a lot of learning experiences. Let's uh, let, let's say 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 it this way. And when I, when I said that that uh, that uh, the first game that we we sold to outside the Soviet Estonia, we made comparatively a lot of money with that. Then uh, also the value of money, you know, uh, you know, changed over time, or the meaning of money changed changed over time. So I think you know, five years later, we didn't feel quite that we are making quite as much money. Uh, the <laughs> the the uh, and we had uh, we had a lot of things that didn't didn't work out as well but you know like i said you know hey we were all young we didn't have families and so forth you know the the we could we, we could live with live with this um so now we are or much more experienced we do fewer mistakes but also the bar is way higher it's also that you know we actually need to make you know this or that work and um we can't afford that many uh, that, that 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 many failures, uh, but 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 this was the heyday of experimentation. We did loads of different things. We were talented enough to be able to pull off many things in software, uh, all sorts of complicated things um, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that 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 uh, that that we needed to do that projects that we that we we delivered you know successfully. And you know, yeah, one one example was this uh, was this also that, that at some point we needed to learn. PHP uh, during the weekend, and you know it was it was at the level that on a Friday we didn't know what PHP was, like we just hadn't heard heard the acronym before. Uh, and mm. technically, you couldn't Google because, or was it Google already existed at the time? <laughs> I think it and did. I think actually. Alta Vista. Ex ex yeah, ex it's probably the main one you did. Time, <laughs> <not Google>. yeah. <laughs> um, then 
things started to change. Uh, well, I actually wanted to just to comment that. So, so actually, this this blooming period, you did a lot of experimentation as well, and it was obviously you know sort of hidden from the from the mainstream. But you know, it's always been there that you've been testing a lot of a lot of things, and and you know, a lot of things are not not working. But you you learn from those. But it was also that that there was uh, people who actually got to work together, and and and, and these people became like uh, key people in the next decade. Right, uh, absolutely, and I think it it was hidden from the public because journalists are not interested in 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 uh, writing about this this uh, this uh, sort of experimentation or these you know small teams that are that that that, that are, are are doing these things. It's a little bit like you know, the 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 the, the media is in, uh, okay. This is this saying you know like you know why big companies are often disrupted by startups and you know why why it becomes why it is a surprise to to. To big companies that uh, that oh now a startup you know took over our business essentially uh, it's essentially because big companies react to revenue threats and the small company is not a revenue threat it's uh, it's like 0.01 percent of our revenue so why why keep pay attention to this until it isn't 0.0 percent anymore right you know then 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 it's then it's too late if if something has you know a growth rate of two x a year or ten x a year. It's a major threat, you know, regardless of how small it is right now. You know, like the pandemic. You know, we know now. Now, whole, whole world knows knows what the exponential curve look curve look like, right? Um, and it's the same generally with general public that uh, that uh, if uh, if somebody improves a metric, for example, you know, in one month by two x or ten x, it's something worth paying attention to. But people don't pay attention to that. To, to, to that, people pay attention if the metric is peak, like if somebody has done 10 million deliveries or 1 million deliveries, then people pay attention. But if people double their amount of deliveries in one week, uh, from like 100 to, to 200 or something like that, in, in one week, people don't pay attention to that, but, but they should. So the overnight success which took like 10 years, which we already spoke about, is, is, is Skype. And uh, there was an ad in the local newspaper and, and your was it your game was not exactly a success so you didn't manage to actually sell it to anyone so you needed a little bit of money and and, and then stuff started to happen this we've been told many times but I, I think it's just a good to just briefly pick up and, and i can put it to show notes other places where you can hear the story more in elaborate way right 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 so, so, so yeah essentially the, when we when we were doing in the 90s, we were doing the, the computer games development, and at some point we exited computer games development and went into startups essentially, and went into sort of internet-related software development. And the the the, the way that happened was actually we, you know, our publisher in US went bankrupt. Our games publisher owed us money, and we were like, uh, even though some of us actually had families, but at, at the time, so we actually found that oh, we actually need need to need money, you know, quickly. And we realized that maybe doing computer games is not the best thing 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 to do. That maybe we should actually actually you know you know you know you know find something else. And then we actually noticed somebody somebody at the time actually wanted to, and that was actually Nicholas Zenstrom, uh, actually who was leading a, leading a company called Everyday.com at the time. Um, wasn't a startup, but uh, but but uh, but but doing a digital product essentially. And they needed a a, a really good team of good software developers, like two people or something like that, uh, to do like a bit of a rescue project or, or, or to a rescue project that, 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 that wasn't, wasn't going, going well. And uh, they were doing the space. impossible. 
exactly. <laughs> and they, they, were pay, they were willing to pay very good money, you know, you know, you know, for it. So we saw that ad and we just thought that that's exactly what we need. <laughs> you know, somebody wants to pay us a lot of money. That's exactly what we, what we need right now. We are like in debt a little bit and, you know, we, we, we need a lot of money. Um, the only problem was that we didn't know what this PHP was. <laughs> so, so that's why we had to learn PHP over the weekend and we, and we won this job and we, and that's why, how we, how we, uh, we we got acquainted to 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 Nicholas Sandstrom and and Janus Fries, and then you know later on you know went went on to do to do uh, to do like uh, Skype together and so forth. So so that that was actually my introduction to to startups, and you know now I'm together with Janus again doing doing startup do, doing doing Starship essentially. That's a sidetrack, uh, but but just a curious one. Do you remember what was the first Estonian? startup you know what was the you recognize as a startup because the boom was obviously happening already in the late 90s and and you know there was stuff happening in the 90s and, and even early on but you know in estonia it probably wasn't yeah it's a it's a it's a bit of a you know playing with terminology what is a startup or not like blue moon was blue moon a startup you know no maybe but not really like we were we, we, we were we were we were doing computer games but it was like one game at a time and every game, you know, could be successful or not successful. And then we start doing the next game and so forth. But in our, we never like raised money from VC, for example. Um, you know, the, 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 in Estonia, the proper startup scene actually got kind of started with Skype or a little bit after Skype. Uh, there were some experiments before that, 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 that as well, but, 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 but really, really very, very little. And I think, you know, very much, it's, it's a very much also, also a case that, if you have a society or a group, yeah, if you have a society or community which doesn't know that it can do startups, then they're not doing startups. Once somebody shows the first, uh, hey, you can do it, then you have actually loads of, loads of people, people trying this. And uh, Skype was actually instrumental in, 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 in getting the Estonian startup scene uh, kickstarted. Uh, the, uh, was Skype an Estonian startup? Okay, you know, hard to say. So it's actually it's a funny thing you think about. You know, also Estonia is a very small country, obviously. So you, it's it's hard to build like a startup just completely in Estonia. Uh, but but Skype was a, was was a startup where the largest office was Estonia. The product, the technical development was mostly or 100 percent in Estonia. Uh, the CEO lived in London. Uh, the founders were Swede and the Dane. Uh, investors were mostly from US, customers were mostly from Asia, and the legal headquarters was Luxembourg. So, which is it a Luxembourg startup? <laughs> yes, that's where legal headquarters is, but not really. <laughs> you know, was it a UK startup? <laughs> Maybe. Was it an Asian startup? <laughs> yeah, not really either, right? You know, the nice thing is that all of these countries uh, uh, think uh, Skype is their own. Which is great. I like that people have the sense of sense of, of, of ownership. But there were some, you know, proper Estonian start, startups, you know, for, you know, uh, then 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 done later. And there's a little bit of a Skype mafia for sure, you know, you know, going on not just in Estonia but also in other places, also in UK and so forth. Like you know, like David Hinrichus who who founded founded uh, you know Vice, you know, you know, he was he was like the you know, kind of the first employee at at. Um, at uh, at Skype, so he was the first person who didn't get founder shares. Essentially, I got founder shares. He didn't. He was like a, a couple of people later than me. Essentially, um, the the uh, uh, and 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 lots and lots of other others as well. And you know, and also you know the 
you know, me, Jan, and a couple of other people then who also made money at, uh, with, with, with Skype, we started investing that money in these early startups. I think ba back at the time, we kind of, you know, probably lo lost most of that money or, or, or definitely didn't, didn't get, get a high multiple in, in, in investment at the time because this, the overall scene just was not that developed and, you know, and we were maybe not, not as good as in investors either. Um, uh, uh, but, but it, but it did kickstart to a large extent, uh, also the, the Estonian startup scene. Uh, uh, lots of people got either funded by us or inspired by us, inspired by Skype. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, great things have happened. Um, backtracking a bit, there's, there's one point I, I just want to, maybe it's actually sort of stick out, uh, from, from your story, the, the Skype story. And, and that was that, uh, and this goes back to the Starship as well. Uh, I, I will give you the, the clue in a moment. Uh, but, uh, you did, um, peer to peer before Skype, uh, the Gazar technology and uh, that obviously became once again uh, really big and but but my real point is that um, you had a business problem I would say which involved international calls and um, what I learned was that you didn't actually realize that you already have sort of the technology sort of like a similar way like a starship uh, that yeah you, you're doing robotics but you know uh, here's like hey here's this amazing p2p technology we can use for international calls and the world was completely different at the time so you you have to actually pay for your international calls and uh, you, you started the, uh, in, in this case as well from the business side not from the technology side that okay hey we have this cool peer-to-peer -peer technology and let's do something with it yeah, yeah, definitely. I, th I think, you know, if I, if I also give, give advice to people, I would say actually starting from technology is a terrible idea. Like, you know, the, you, essentially it's, it's a terrible thing to, to, to start developing solutions in search of problems. Uh, uh, we very much, you know, you know, you know, uh, try to first identify the problem and then, then, then how, how, how can you solve it, you know? And, uh, I think I, I, I've tried also this, you know, developing solutions in search of problems bef before, but, uh, um, but, uh, but luckily, you know, you know, not not anymore. I think. Uh, yeah, we, we, we have not heard about those. Those are the, among the, you know, the, <laughs> the startups yeah. you mentioned that never got too so, far. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I think I think I think so. Yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely. I think I think engineers and myself included, you know, sometimes you know get hung up on the on the solution and and try to you know develop you know this sort of you know great solution and so forth. And uh, I, I would I, I would I would I would give 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 advice to them to, to not do it too much. And I would give the advice to the non-engineers who get frustrated with that, that uh, that's actually part of the nature of the engineer to be developing solutions. So no need, there's no need to blame them for trying to, to build solutions. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's maybe a little bit less of the engineer's job to, 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 to learn you know, more about the, about the business and the, and, and, and the problem their primary job is to develop a solution. So, so, so it's kind of, it's kind of natural. Uh, did you do the same kind of, uh, analysis on a, on a napkin with the Skype when you started, uh, or was you, do you remember that? Was it actually like I, that? I, hey, I that's international was, calls and. I think for me, for me, it, there was a back of the napkin moment, but I'm not sure how important this mo this moment it was important for me but it, i'm not sure how important it was it was actually in the founding of of uh, of skype if you know i had this back of the neck moment that i that i just you know looked at 
you know, like like you said, at that time you were people were used to actually paying for international calls. Like if you just picked up the phone, well, it is like that as well. You know, you know today, right? If you pick up your mobile phone and just just call, you know, like uh, if I pick up the phone and call New York, you know, I need to need, need to pay for this. But if I if I use you know Skype or you know WhatsApp or something like that, then 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 then, then I won't. Uh, but the but but I but I looked at the just the price list of the of the telecom. Like if I pick up the phone and call New York, how much would I need to pay per minute? And then I calculated, okay, but how many bits of that audio? How, how many bits is that audio? And how if I if I now go to an, a, a telecom and ask for internet connection, and 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 ask to trans, transport bits to New York, how how much does that cost? And I found out that there was one thousand times difference. You know, I would, you know, as voice, I paid the telecom 1,000 times more to transfer the same information than, you know, as transferring the same audio as bits, essentially. So that was, for me, a sort of important moment that, okay, voice over IP really makes sense. And it was also the same if you think about text messages. They were really profitable for the telcos as well, because it was the, was it the S7 or something, the protocol they were done for the infrastructure, and it was basically free thing for the, for the telcos to send, which was invented uh, just by accident or more or less. Uh, and, and you did the chat, so the Skype was also a chat, which was revolutionary as well. So it was not just audio, and, and probably when we now say uh, Skype, we mean video, but there was no video in the beginning. It was just audio. And, and... Right. In the beginning, it was, it was audio, then it was chat, and then it, then it was video. And then, also, actually, 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 uh, actually one, one you know, important thing uh, about this was also that you know, for, for, the, for the consumers or for the users of Skype, it was mostly the voice calls and then later video calls. But interesting thing, actually Skype, you know, since we were developing also a chat tool, right, we were probably the first or one of the first companies in the world that organized their internal life around a chat. Like right now, everybody uses, you know, Slack and, you know, some of these other things. But back then, companies didn't because these tools didn't exist. But we were the company developing a tool like that. Internally, in Skype, the company was organized a lot around chats, and that was we really liked this. We really enjoyed this. You know, we we were we were all the first time doing this. Like it wasn't that you know people who joined uh, Skype, they weren't you know joining from these previous companies when they said, oh, we used Slack. You know, back then, no, 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 Slack didn't exist. You know, they were like, oh, we used email. That's 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 the background that people and people came from, and then they joined Skype, and then they they discovered this new world of oh, actually doing internal chats, and we had all, all of the same things as, as people do nowadays, you know, in the in the in 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 Slack chats, and we were sort of the pioneers there in terms of how to organize the company life around chat. There was also one fourth feature which I recall was really important, and that goes back to the Gaza. Wasn't there also file transfer? Because that was not obvious that you could actually you know send uh, thick files over email because it didn't work so it was a difficult to send you something over the you know if you're in another part of the world and skype was a way to do that as well yeah 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 definitely we built we built a lot of things into into skype yeah so, so it was actually an amazing thing for for that generation of people who actually came away in their the early early 20s in in that time and uh, it changed a lot of lives like like you mentioned already uh, but Skype also changed a lot of lives and um, created like the 
uh, unicorn moment in Estonia as well that you know things are possible here and uh, it's not obvious that well I don't know this is something maybe you can explain that is it obvious that it was Estonia why it was not Latvia why it was not Lithuania why it was not some other places uh, in in the in the Eastern Europe and uh, what, what's so special about Skype because we we have the highest density of unicorns now and and if you go back a lot of these people are the the Skype you know early employees or they were actually funded by the Ambient Sound investment uh, your investment vehicle with, with other co-founders and and you know you, you see familiar names like the Bolt co-founder Willick and uh, you know it, it, you know it's so. I don't know, you know, has anybody actually counted that how many big startups actually has happened uh, because of Skype? Yeah, definitely quite quite a lot. And this, this, you know, you know, Skype mafia definitely exists. Uh, that that the uh, you know people got energized by 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 Skype, and they got or they got fund, funded by people who made money of Skype, uh, uh, and they got founded by people who had the experience from. From from uh, from Skype, so it really, you know, I, but Skype, Skype was like one of the biggest European success stories at the time, uh, and especially for a country like Estonia, it's like Estonia is a small country, so having this sort of you know, kind of the biggest European success story, kind of based in Estonia in some way. Okay, like I said, you know, it's also it's also based in Luxembourg and so forth, but also to a to a significant extent, you know, Estonians felt that this was our own, and this was our own, and this was like number one success in Europe. Uh, uh, the the so it's a big thing. It it sends a big message to the society, to the entrepreneurs, to everybody who took part in 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 Skype. Obviously, uh, people also also got a little bit you know too um, um, uh, heady, you know, with with this, you know, uh, I think. Uh, Everybody who was early at Skype, when they go went and founded another startup, the next startup day. For I all think you them. mentioned that was it like the, the the ten first employees, was it almost every one of them did a startup and they all failed. There's something like that happened. Exactly, exactly. David Hinrich was also did did startups before Wise or between Skype and Wise, which failed. Yeah, you know, I did a number of experiments which failed. You know the the you know uh, you know Martin Willig did something which failed. You know the the uh, uh, so there was also there's also an element of luck in a lot of the startups. Sometimes it's not that you are you are you're just good and or mostly it's not that you know you're just good and then everything you do you know, turns to gold or, you know, starts working as a business. No, it's not like that. Mm. And it was not the timing as well. But now if you think about it was probably in the, in the later part of the 2000s. So obviously that was the financial crisis. But, you know, if we look back, you know, Twitter, a lot of these names we know now were established along those that times. And, and you already have connections as well. Hey, if you have a 2.6 billion exit, in Europe, probably, you know, the people in the Silicon Valley are paying attention. So it, it's not that you're not connected. It's not that you, you don't have the means to do things. So so, so it, it takes more. Right, right. And absolutely. But you can still fail if you even you, you have all of these things. And and uh, yeah, so that was like the next 10 years. Um, 
in your life and and you know well you say that you probably are not going to do an, an, another startup you know uh, you, you mentioned that early on but uh, looking back at your history I'm, I'm not so convinced that <laughs> 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 um, there's one topic um, I well let, let, let me ask and see whether whether you're interested of this one um, web3 because you you've been going through the internet and you know open source and uh, you, that different culture it was a different culture at a different time and sharing everything gaza and and you know that type of thing and now we have a similar uh, decentralized peer to peer uh, technologies coming again but you haven't mentioned a word about those things do you do you have some ideas or are they now the hidden secret things you did do at the night or you are not really interested or it's not just the, the right time I, I would say I myself I'm not really really interested, but that doesn't mean that other people are not. So so there are a lot of things that happen in the world that I'm not interested uh, interested in. I think the the probably the probably the main thing you know for 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 me around this is that is that the uh, the I still, you know, there's a great promise that 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 you know, you know, Web three will kind of, you know, take 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 over the world, and I don't know whether it does. You know, the the and I'm not right now, you know, I'm not the entrepreneur right now, you know, willing to willing to, you know, you know, you know, do this or you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, bet on this. I think it could transform the world in a in a big way, but also might not. So and and people confuse a lot of people, you know, confuse the. Making money on on you know on the uh, the the Bitcoin price that is going up uh, and you know Web three technologies. I think you can make money speculatively by investing in tulips you know all the time essentially without there being any sort of Web three you know. And for and for these people, for these people making money off Bitcoin, this crypto and decentralized is just a story essentially. Uh, the and I don't want to do things where. I'm just making money off a story, uh, the just off the story. The story also has to be there. But if if I'm doing like a technical innovation, I I I, I would like to I would like to to do it in a, in in a way that this technical innovation is actually instrumental in making this business work. Uh, so, uh, and that's how it is with Starship, and I. I'm not sure whether that's the case in a lot of crypto investing right now. Is there anything particular you want to point out? Uh, I'm just thinking the peer-to-peer, -peer and and because we want to get rid of the servers. Uh, Skype also started peer-to-peer, -peer and then you had super nodes, and you went to the to the cloud because of the scale. So are we now in the curve of trying to decentralize, and then we're centralizing again? Are, are there some technical challenges still which you see that are really interesting? Uh, if you well, are well, engineer well, now, think, you, you know, should focus at the on. Time, at the time when, when, uh, when we developed Skype and, uh, and when I, you know, did, when I, when, when I and we and the group around, around me was the sort of the, definitely the world leader in, in the, in, uh, in peer to peer technologies, uh, at that time running servers was really expensive. Mm. You know, you know, it was typical, you know, for startups to require a million dollars just to you know buy servers, Sun servers, just, or, yeah. exactly just to get started essentially, just to <laughs> offer like a basic service, not offer like a massive scale service, but just a basic service to buy million dollars worth of servers. That was sort of like a 
not unheard of essentially uh, and we and we and we, we thought okay with at that sort of and with this sort of economics if we want to run like a massive you know you know for free massive free calling service that we want to have international calls for free obviously we are not making a huge amount of revenue or our unit economics need to be really good and we we figure we can't do that by you know buying million dollar servants essentially you know we, we need to do some other technology what has happened guess what in these 20 years is actually that it no longer takes million dollars yeah, so i would say the same premise doesn't exist anymore now people are doing the the web3 actually for different reasons uh and fundamentally you know whether that works is i think decided to decided by you know do people want to really transform the world in in, in this way and it's the it's sort of the customers that need to adopt and let's see whether they do you're not just doing technology you also been uh, part of another movement which started from Estonia which was uh, unique and became a worldwide thing uh, can you already guess what I'm I can guess I can guess what you, what, what go you mean. ahead uh, so you mean the you mean the cleanup yeah so right. let's do it started 2008 and uh, there was 50 50,000 people involved so just like one uh, four percent of the whole population did something uh, if you want to just uh, e explain what it was and what was the impact and right this was yeah I've actually actually I'm actually involved in a, in, a, in a number of sort of you know not-for-profit uh, uh, initiatives uh, as well I'm not just about doing startups and you know raising rounds of funding and so forth uh, the the I actually donate to to NGOs also quite a lot uh, the the and, and and one thing that I was involved involved with was in, was involved, was was about uh, about um, uh, about cleaning cleaning rubbish garbage you know out from out from 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 the world and and uh, and mainly the countryside uh, the and uh, it's it's a little bit uh, you know the maybe it's, maybe it's a, a little bit uniquely sort of not uniquely Estonian but a little bit uni uniquely Eastern European uh, thing that uh, after the Soviet times the, the Soviet times was Soviet Union was there was a lot of garbage I would say and it, in general it was a very sort of uh, non-ownership taking environment where people littered a lot uh, not necessarily in the cities but to get rid of garbage some people just went to the forest and just threw everything in the forest in a random place. So, so, and it's also, you know, Eastern Europe, Europe and, and Estonia also, they're not very populated countries. So it's easy to actually find a place where nobody sees where you, you, you dump a truckload of, 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 of garbage. So there were a lot of these places in, 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 in Estonia. And, uh, and uh, we, there was this group of people where, but, but, but that I was, I was part of, um, I wasn't leading this, but I was kind of part of the group. Uh, uh, to decide that okay, let's do like a, a bit of a crowdsourced or 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 a citizen movement to 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 clean clean this up, and we and we had this idea, or I didn't have that idea, uh, but uh, but uh, other people had this idea that let's actually galvanize the public around you know cleaning this up in one day. So uh, let's or organize this is this one date, and we had like huge number of people, like tens of thousands of people or or or, or more. To, to 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 have it have it at this like one sort of like cleanup festival or type 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 of event, 
and and uh, and and we we organized that we did that uh, that was about three percent of the population of Estonia. The president was cleaning and so forth. It was a huge huge movement that has now been repeated in uh, in uh, in tens uh, or more than hundred countries uh, with with you know many 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 millions of people. Um, uh, so that has been a very successful movement. I, I was I, I, I was part of that uh, that especially in the beginning. There was actually a lot of uh, there was actually quite significant amount of technology in there because one one key part part there was actually the, actually to to show people the problem. Uh, we developed uh, a garbage map where we actually mapped the garbage beforehand. You know, it's, it's very it's much easier to to put it on a on a, on a, a pin on a map than to go and clean this up. To clean this up takes hours. Put the pin on the map and just go on to the map the next point. You know, it takes very little time. So we first actually pre-mapped everything. So we knew approximately how many tons of garbage do we have, how many people do we need, and we showed that also to the public. We published this map. Everybody could go and click around, you know, around my home. What garbage there is, and people then realize, oh, there's actually some really bad stuff out there. Let's go and clean this up. And I built that map. I built that logistics. I built that uh, that uh, that mapping technology, so to speak. It was very simple. It wasn't uh, wasn't anything too complicated. Yeah, Google Maps, uh, I guess, existed already at the time. So yes, yeah. But it was uh, well, it, it was a huge thing, and uh, it then it was 2018, ten years later, then there was a uh, World Cleanup Day as well. So it was like uh, let's let's clean up, and and this is the thing in the well, you you don't call, call nowadays developing world, but uh, but but in in the countries which are um, still having a bit of that attitude that let's throw things away and, and you know you just right. cannot say to people that you know yeah just uh, right I, I i i must say i must say that that, that that you know there was this attitude you know earlier that, that let's just you know throw things things away in the in the forest but i must say there was also in these countries and also in estonia and also in eastern europe there was a huge attitude to let's clean this up and actually in the more developed countries we didn't find that attitude there was still a garbage, but there also wasn't an attitude that let's organize to clean this up. It was more that, oh, hey, you know, the government will do that. You know, well, yes, maybe, but you, might, you, 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 you can say that, oh, you know, pe people in Eastern Europe had this attitude of throwing the things in the forest. That's true, but they also had the attitude of cleaning up, which actually didn't exist. I mean, we actually had much harder time, you know, making this work, like in Germany, for example. In Germany, people didn't want to, want to do the cleanup, you know, because they thought, oh, the government should clean this up. There's also garbage in Germany. Don't get me wrong. There is. Yeah, and, and usually what I recall as well was that you know it's considered other people's problem. Like you know, I don't need to do it. It's either it's government or I'm too highly paid. It's somebody else's you know low paid yeah. person's job to do it. I I don't need to do that. And yeah. you, it, it's really hard to change that. But if if you do the division of labor. It's easy to map that, hey, there are carpets there, and, and then probably you can rally people around and, and the social signaling starts to work. So, so that was uh, probably part of the innovation as well, that uh, seeing and showing that it's not just a kid's job or it's not just somebody else's job, but even if the, the CEO of the company is doing it, probably I need to do something as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in fact, actually, we wanted to specifically, you know, our goal was not just, you know, sort of clinically, technically, um, clean the garbage. What's the easiest way to, to just clean the garbage? You know, you actually map it, you hire a professional team of garbage cleaners who are professionals, they do it, you know, quickly, then you buy tools for them. Uh, and you, you get it done with, you know, 100 people or something like that. 
The problem is then these hundred people maybe take ownership of this garbage and, and, they, and they for their environment and so forth. But even they are not really doing this. They're doing it as a job. They're getting paid, right? But, but we specifically selected a method of involving a lot of people who then everybody took ownership of the land in a way, you know, like not legal ownership of the land, but, you know, sort of the mental ownership of our environment. That's what we needed to do, essentially. And that's what we need, we, why we selected the most inefficient way to do it, that you, you, you work on something for three hours, so you're just getting, getting, getting up to speed when it's actually over. Um, uh, so we needed a lot of people. That's why we needed, we, we, by design, we thought that, okay, maybe we could galvanize 3% of the, of the population. That's what we did. Uh, you be part of some restoration uh, and, and other projects as well. Is there something you want to mention, you know, your interest in, in, in this area? Uh, there's, I think there's a lot of things that I'm, I, am, I am interested in. Uh, but I think, you know, we, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but, but, uh, but, but maybe not. Uh, what is your favorite word? My favorite word. I don't have a favorite word. I think I have a least favorite word, but uh, but but not a, not a favorite word. Well, what is your least favorite word? I think my 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 the the one thing that irritates me nowadays is, is this word called guarantee. Uh, the people, people, especially if we think of if we read about like government and politics, there's all sorts of politicians who want to guarantee things to the to the to to the population, but I don't think. Any and in today's volatile world can really guarantee anything. I think, you know, in, if you look at just history, then, then even one of the most powerful countries in the world, like the United States, has not been able to guarantee the safety of their president because at least one of them has been shot. Uh, the, 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 so nowadays, if I hear, you know, politicians or, or, or companies saying that they guarantee this or that, you know, you, you know, you know, thing, I just a little bit that, you know, I'm not in this world, you know, they, they, everything has a failure rate, you know, they, there is, there's a percentage of time something doesn't work, you know, they, maybe, you know, this is just my, you know, pet peeve as an engineer. What turns you on, creatively, spiritually or emotionally? Uh, what, uh, yeah. So, freedom, mm, nature. Uh, I do a lot of hiking. Hiking combines two things, nature and freedom. Like I can see, you know, in the mountains or in the north of Sweden or, or Finland or uh, I can, like I said, oh, I want to go on top of this mountain or I want to see what's behind this. And, you know, I get this physical exercise. I get, uh, get, get to be in nature. That ch charges me up, uh, up, up emotionally for sure. And my family as well. What turns you off? Uh, bad communication with people, like bad communication in the sense that, you know, people being angry with each other for no reason, people uh, having expectations that I should deliver something to them that I never promised uh, or, or, um, or things like that. And I think there's a lot of uh, frustration in the world, um, you know, you know, nowadays, which is, which is a bad thing. This, this turns me off. What is your favorite curse word? I don't even have one. I, for some reason, I, for some reason, I know a, a lot of uh, Finnish curse words, 
uh, 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 the TV so bad that they were only cursing at the time? <laughs> no, not not really, not really. But I know a, f- a few Finnish curse words, but I, I don't really use them. I use them to make fun of fin- Finnish people, but uh, but not uh, not uh, not really. I'm not much of a cursing person. What sound or noise do you love? Probably birds singing. That I I love that. What sound or noise do you hate? People arguing or being angry. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? It would be really okay. Okay, that's not a okay. It's not really a profession, I, I, I guess. Or, but but I, to some extent, you know, I would. I, it would be interesting to actually, you know, very systematically um, be like an athlete uh, or. Uh, uh develop yourself physically like i i was you know at school and so forth i always got like bad grades in physical education or i wasn't really 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 good at that mm. and uh, but but part of the reason also also was that i think at the time i didn't even realize that you can actually develop yourself physically you know really like if you train at something you do get better that's actually something that i learned just an adult at some point you know decided that okay i will try, you know, like running or jogging. Uh, so I started doing that. I realized that I can I actually develop, you know, that I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not good at that, I think, you know, but, uh, but I'm, I'm probably at my age, I'm better than the average person at my age, I think uh, the, the, and that is just that, you know, I've worked to develop myself. I've, 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 I've worked, I love, I like physical exercise actually. I'm not doing too much of it, but I but but I like it. I enjoy it. I would actually love to some extent, you know, maybe sometime take like a year or something like that, where suppose I don't like work, but I do systematically develop myself physically. That would be interesting. It would be fun. It would feel different. Listeners, take notice that probably is the next ten uh, billion dollar company coming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. What profession would you not like to do? I don't like to like doing like uh, completely manual repetitive things. Uh, so I think there are many professions professions uh, uh, like that that I, I wouldn't like to do. If you could be a co-founder of any startup in any era, which one would you choose? I'm I'm definitely fascinated by a lot of you know deep tech. Uh, things like space, uh, the number of interesting, you know, space startups, you know, you know, nowadays, I think these are exciting. I'm not sure whether this is, you know, really for me, I don't really have a lot of the background and, you know, uh, and, uh, and uh, now I'm doing a robotics uh, startup, which has a name Starship, but it's not actually flying to space. Yet. Um, any final words to the audience? Um, I think uh, you, you you don't. I think you know. I, I've done some in, some interesting things, and I know that you are also doing some interesting things. Um, my my word to you is that uh, also come to 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 Petri's podcast and and tell me about interesting things that that you are doing. Thank you, Arti. 
this has been an amazing talk. There's so many insights. Uh, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you everyone for joining us today and till next time. Thank you everybody and thank you Petli for inviting me.